0: Hello, this is Noon Gom from the Academic Observer on Economics, Business and Finance and today we're going to cover one of the hottest topics in recent times, which is the shifting towards the digitalization of currencies as we see for example the european central bank ecb pushing and initializing its investigative phase for a new electronic euro the chinese central bank cbdc also pursuing that new digital un but what we have witnessed at a mainstream level during this past year or so is the complete transformation of the financial sector where every new venture is about being digital you see blockchain technology projects being practiced by giant firms such as microsoft shell and G, IBM, Visa, a Samsung, Walmart, HSBC, Credit Suisse. So as you can see, it's very agnostic in that regard, and I could go on and on with that list, but I'd pay particular attention with AP Moller-Maersk's Tradelands project, which was by far the most successful one in 2021, completely changing the cargo shipping industry. But besides these enterprise blockchain projects, you also have the popular Bitcoin cryptocurrency, which reached incredible heights earlier this year. The rising crave for non-fungible tokens, NFTs, which range from digital arts all the way to football cards. You see Facebook introducing its DM coin in Switzerland, updated from their Libra. But what's most impressive at a social level is the digital currency 1.0 standard experienced in China, as they call it, which has completely transformed and frankly advanced how societies operate there. For the Chinese, 90% of all transactions are being made through mobile payments, even facial payments, connecting the Alipays and WeChats to the citizens' bank accounts. Essentially most of China's uh, cities are completely cashless today. So it's no real surprise that governments also want to get a piece of the pie, in fact countries such as the Bahamas and Cambodia have already implemented digital currencies for electronic payments, or DCEP for short, while China is imminently on its way too. These payments hold the same intrinsic properties as physical currencies, just in a digital form, so don't get confused between DCP and blockchain currencies such as Bitcoin. Now, Konrad Busen, a financial correspondent for German media company Doche Welle, explains the differences as follows. So, Conrad, is this going to be the eurozone's answer to Bitcoin, or are we expecting something rather different than that? I think we have to expect something fundamentally different. You know, Bitcoin is completely decentralized and anonymous. You can transfer money from one point of this earth to another point of this earth without uh, the people who transfer the money disclosing their identity. Uh, it's not likely that the digital euro would look like this. It, it will be relatively centralized. The European Central Bank will have uh, the control over it. And it's uh, li- not likely that it's going to be completely anonymous. The Central Bank wants to know who gets the digital euro because it also wants to have some sort of control over how the money is used. Okay, so just reiterating what has been said, DCP currencies are not on the blockchain. And this makes sense. I mean, Bitcoin has about 7 transactions per second, while DCP currencies have approximately 200,000 transactions per second. With that many levels, a standard blockchain simply would not work. What's more, DCP currencies are centralized and not anonymous as boos states. This means that the central bank will have control over the flow of the currency and there will be no sort of private key as we see with crypto. But now let me guess, your concerns with digital currency are now related to privacy and yes we can say that the DCPs are not anonymous but central banks participating in this have confirmed that full anonymity will in fact exist, which means that standard transactions are day-to-day purchases, as buying coffee, sending money to someone or purchasing a car will not be monitored by officials. What they vow to control are bigger money transactions with fraudulent intents, that's when horizontally the anonymity might no longer apply as it would in Switzerland for example, although that reality is also changing there and well, people might also argue that this would be a total attack on consumer privacy and data governance well, access to data confers competitive advantages that may entrench market power. Beyond the economic consequences, ensuring privacy against unjustified intrusion by both commercial and government actors has the attributes of a basic right. That is, the differences between what's legal compliance and what's considered behavioral espionage, which must be clearly outlined. For these reasons, the issue of data governance has emerged as a key public policy concern. But, well, The truth is, for example, in today's world, uh, greenbacks or physical US dollar notes each have serial codes in them. That means the Federal Reserve can basically invalidate certain dollar notes that they might think is a fraudulent intent. So don't just think that only digital currencies can control transactions by individuals. It is no surprise that most criminal acts are identifiable today. Okay, let's advance into another chapter of the CBDC concept, which is its impact and implications on other sister operations within the realms of the financial sector. Pascal Copens is a sinologist and entrepreneur based in China, reaffirms his beliefs on the topic as follows. This digital currency is a threat a number of things it's not against alipay or alibaba or tencent because they are just like banks going to receive this money from the people's bank of china and then distribute it and they will be able to use it again to, do, to offer different services it's not against fintech it's not against the cryptocurrency actually the cryptocurrencies are benefiting from this decent right now and it's definitely not something against to create a standard a global chinese standard for payments so as you hear, evidently he is referring to China in specific, but he has grounds to do so because the country is indeed leading the DCP development. Now, regarding his remarks made as to whether China wants to consolidate its currency at a global scale, some could argue otherwise, and Pascal later addresses these issues as well. Indeed, probably the greatest external concern by the Chinese are the sanction impositions that characterize the US worldwide targeting many countries that could be dubbed as successful economic partners to China in particular. Think about Iran and its strong hydrocarbon, financial, and manufacturing service sector that has all spiraled out of control due to inflationary pressures and sanctioning processes. Look at Venezuela's petroleum, textile, and commodity industries or Cuba, Syria, North Korea, the list goes on and on. They have all suffered for the same reasons now, if it's uh, ethical or not that's another conversation for another time now the global dollarization has enabled the us to somewhat control the flow of currency in and out of its competitors and to be honest china doesn't even need to look externally look at huawei and its exports they've also been blacklisted as a result of sanctioning and while dcp issuance is an alternative to this decentralizing in a way the dominance and dependence of the dollars is for the greater good or not again that's another discussion for another time now another important feature for the cbdc is the internationalization of the un digital form will enable the chinese to operate with much greater ease due to transferable implications with the normal currency we see today because you can't just convert the renminbi into dollars with a snapping of fingers Okay, so with this, we reach the final segment of this talk on CBDC, and we've looked so far at how the governing bodies and central banks seek that further participation on this rapidly transforming financial sector and payment system structure, the new structure. We've discussed the pros and the cons of this mechanism, and we've noted that the eventual success of a CBDC implementation would really fall down on how the technology evolves and the underlying market market structures or data governance frameworks used, because they have to be well and truly presented. We must remember that the foundation of any currency issued by the central bank throughout history must be trusted by the people that use it, that's the key word. Because at the end of the day, the central bank will provide that ultimate unit of account, and well, like in the legal system for example, that has to be grounded by trust from both the banks and the public in this case we're talking financially and this is what a public good fundamentally is and uh, well therefore the cbdc is a public good both for retail and wholesale payments now why well it's the monetary system that is being practiced by society only if it goes through of course we're talking theoretically here but uh, on the other hand, you look at other sister innovations that we've also mentioned so far in this episode, such as cryptocurrencies, even stable coins, which are more similar. They're basically cryptocurrencies price pegged by stable assets such as exchangeable commodities and fiat currencies. And we also look at other forms of uh, technological developments that link with CBDC implementation but don't necessarily have a blockchain technology involved, such as the walled garden ecosystems of big tech bodies. And while all these innovations, aggregated together, as intriguing as they seem, they can underpin what we just talked about, which is that public good element that is so important for a payment system to work. Now these upcoming tech firms they literally hold business models dependent on user information, activity, and overall network effects. And well, on one side they can undoubtedly provide a great access, lower costs, and better services. But we must not forget that they have also some negatives to them, and that these tools can uh, foment some sort of entrenched market power and excessive data concentration. Look at China, uh, for example, which has two tech firms that control basically all digital activity. Paying uh, transactions, if I'm not mistaken, it's 95%, and that can be seen as something uh, very dangerous too, it's 95% utility. So it's the central bank's job to ensure the safeguarding of public trust in money and, and the payments during this transition, if they are to transition into CBDC. They have to make sure they can also face a possible upheaval if something goes terribly wrong. So to shape the future, uh, this futuristic payment system, what they will need to do is just fully engage in the development of retail and wholesale uh, CBDCs from the banks to the public, and focus on one important feature, which is enhancing that conventional payment system method. Because the innovation fostered uh, by this new mechanism, which is a CBDC, must always serve the public interests first. So now I would like to add my own personal note on this tool, which I find exciting, because the CBDC represents a unique opportunity to design uh, a technologically advanced representation of what is a new central bank money issuance, because it offers unique features of uh, finality, liquidity, and integrity, which is what we like uh, in a currency. And this currency could eventually also become a key backbone of a much highly efficient uh, new digital payment system that would enable for example broad access strong data governance and privacy standards based on digital id but i also i'm also aware at an international level uh, diplomacy involved uh, we have to realize the full potential of cbdc's for a possible composed cross-border payment system Uh, but international collaboration for that would be paramount because uh, this sort of cooperation would open up new ways for central banks to for example uh, counter foreign currency substitutions and strengthen monetary sovereignty So with this, we close off this episode, which I found very interesting, this race for digital currency. Uh, It's one of the hottest topics of recent times, uh, which is the digitalization of the currency. Essentially, we've seen the DCEP for China and uh, the DC, uh, CBDC, sorry, uh, in general for many different countries. And with this, I also urge you guys to look at the rising crave for non-fungible tokens, all the other innovations uh, regarding blockchain technology and other sort of tech developments that we see, for example, in IBM, Visa, Samsung, and the OEP Moller-Merks Trade Lens project, which I found uh, very intriguing as well. So make sure to check that out. And if you have any more um, doubts or if you want to contact me, my socials will be in the description. This was uh, Nun Gomes on the Academic Observe on Economics, Business and Finance. I hope you guys enjoy this episode.